Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, welcome back to Flipping Dreams. So in this episode, I get a chance to chat with Mary Latham of More Good. She talks about her 50-state, three-year, and 31-day journey to find healing after her mother's death from cancer and to collect stories of kindness, stories of resilience in the face of adversity. We had a lovely chat, and I hope that you enjoy it. As always, please subscribe so that you hear about future episodes and join us back here every week. You're listening to Flipping Dreams. Where are, so you're in the, the U.S. Virgin Islands? I actually just got back to New York now. Um, okay. A few days ago, I came back because now they're allowing tourists in. So it's gotten pretty chaotic there. They're just like dumping into the islands by like the no social distancing. The flights are packed. Like it's, I don't know what these airlines said about the half capacity, but it's not happening. So I got out of there, um, but also just in general, I mean, I was supposed to only be there for eight weeks and I was there for like 20 months. <laughs> so wow. it's, uh, yeah, so it, it's nice to be back in, um, I'm a the very, very end of Long Island. So a very small town. <laughs> nice. Nice. I lived in New York for uh, 12 and a half years um, and went to, went to college at CUNY and um, lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, because that was like where I could afford <laughs> yeah, <laughs> commute no. into the city. <laughs> yeah. Super expensive. I was there for six years, um, with my two best friends since I was three years old, we lived together and, um, it was weird cause we lived on the upper East side, which always sounds fancy, but it, we always wanted to be downtown, but it was just so expensive. And that was actually the cheaper area was the upper East side. Yeah. Yeah. It, cause it's, it's a little bit quieter. People don't realize like yeah, a lot of dogs and strollers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, um, so I'd love for you to sort of talk about your story. Um, some people know it, some people don't. You, you got in your car and you drove to all 50 states searching for acts of kindness, searching for stories that you were going to put in this book. And so tell me, how did this all begin? Uh, so the entire project was inspired by my mom. She was a super positive, optimistic person. Um, she'd gone through a lot in her life just through her cancer diagnosis and just a multitude of other issues that I kind of just watched her always go through with a lot of grace and a positive attitude and a lot of hope. And so it was very inspiring for me to, in general, grow up with that. But um, when I was working actually in Manhattan a few years ago in 2012, I had just gotten into work and I was sitting at my desk and I was kind of going through my day and, and checking the news on Google. And it was the morning of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Um, December 14th, 2012. And I had just started seeing that in the news and kind of 
obsessing over it um, and was horrified, I think, like we all were, and just going through and going through and refreshing the page and just seeing what was happening. And it was updating how many children had gotten killed and the shooter was still active. And it was just, it was horrific. And I was sitting there glued to my screen and my coworker walked by my desk and he had a coffee from Starbucks with him. And we would usually go once a week together to get, you know, the seasonal latte. And I had skipped that morning and he said, you know, you really should have come with me today. And I was completely ignoring him, staring at my computer. And I said, yeah, I couldn't afford it today. And he said, no, it was free. And I kind of turned around and looked at him. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, there was a man in earlier buying gift cards for employees um, that worked for him. And I guess it was right before Christmas. So he, you know, was getting them Christmas presents. And at the end of his transaction, he told the barista, you know, let me get one more for a hundred dollars and let's run it out on this line behind me. And it was just such a cool thing. You know, you hear of these little things happening. I had never really been directly impacted by an act of kindness like that from a total stranger. And, um, and not that I was even there, but just sitting there and listening to my friend tell this story. And he had just had such a rough year. His wife um, and him had just gotten divorced. His mom had just passed away and he was going through back surgery the next week. So it was just like not his year. And he was glowing about this like free $4 coffee. And he was just so happy. And it was just so sweet to see. And he left my desk and I called my mom and I told her about it. And then I kind of quickly switched over to the shooting and telling her all about that. She didn't know yet. She, um, she hadn't seen it in the news. And so she was, you know, I told her all about it and I kept harping on it and how could this happen? And how is there so much bad in the world? And how am I going to babysit for this family this weekend without crying on their child? And she said, Mary, you gotta focus on that coffee story you just told me. You know, there's, there's always going to be tragedies and horrible things that will inevitably happen in our lives and in the world but there'll always be more good out there if you look for it. And so that was kind of the pivotal moment for me that took that more good um, phrase that she said and kind of started dwelling on it over the next few days. And it was a few weeks after that conversation um, that she actually passed away during a surgery for her cancer. And so I kind of used that wisdom to help me kind of guide through the following months and just created this plan um, I was fortunate enough that I had a really big family when I was sitting in the hospital, but um, spending time in the hospital waiting room was very eye-opening to just how horrible it is. And, you know, there was a guy in there alone in the corner, I always remember, and there was a couple that was fighting, they were divorced, and their daughter was dying, and they were having a fight over if she should see her ex-boyfriend or not. And right before she went into the hospital, I had started a little Facebook page with a friend where we were posting happy stories, like acts of kindness stories. So since it had just began, begun, I was getting a lot of stories in my email, which I didn't care about. I wasn't thinking about when I was sitting in there, like we had just been told my mom had a couple hours to live, like everything was kind of a blur. But after a few days in the waiting room and she was still fighting it, um, I opened up that email to check something and I read one of the stories and it was just so beautiful. And I was like, what am I doing? I have all these stories, we're just sitting here. It's the worst week of our lives. Like I could be looking through these. And so I started reading them to my family. And that was where I developed this plan to start going out there and collecting these stories from all over the country to make a book to put in those hospital waiting rooms for people so that they didn't have to feel so alone. That's so amazing. And I think like, what an opportunity um, to face just a very, tr a tragic, traumatic event and to flip it, to, to see the good. Because, I mean, if you want to see bad, you can see it. I mean, it's all around us. It's like our whole culture is permeated with it. Um, yeah. And so to choose to do something good for not only for yourself, 
to help heal you, but also to, for others is amazing. And I also, um, the idea of doing it as a road trip resonates with me because I went through a separation and ultimately a divorce and I literally packed up my car and just drove. I didn't know really where I was going, but I like, there's something about healing over miles and seeing people, friends, strangers, people along the way. And just maybe it's about making your world a little bit bigger as yeah, well, absolutely. you know? Yeah. Um, Once you step out of your bubble, you realize your problems aren't really that big. <laughs> like, you know, like they're not great, but there's other stuff out there that just really punches you in the face with perspective. And I think that for me, that was huge. And there was a quote I heard um, on the trip that said, exposure creates empathy. And I think I've always been a person that was full of a lot of empathy, but this, my gosh, I mean, I have like a disorder actually with empathy, like it's too, it's too intense sometimes. But I think for other people to be able to step out of your bubble and, and see these other people's lives and just, you know, take the focus off yourself and see how you can help others um, is just so huge because I think ultimately the most important thing we do in our lives is help others. And, and that's the only thing that really heals us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, I'd love to hear some stories about your journey because it took, how, how long did it take to do the trip? Three years and 31 days. Wow. Wow. I'm very tired. <laughs> yeah. You probably don't want to get in a car for a while. <laughs> no, I know. It was funny because I had this plan all along right after my mom passed away. The first dream I flipped, if you will, was um, buying a one-way ticket to St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I knew one girl there that worked on a boat, and she kind of sent me a message while I was going through the first few weeks after the funeral and said, you know, I've been thinking about you a lot lately, and I think that you should move down here. You can do your wedding photography down here. You can clear your head. You can hike and, you know, just kind of heal a little bit. And so I did it. And I left New York City. I left my family and my best friends and everything behind. And I kind of just um, hit a restart button. And so part of my plan was once I was kind of ready enough to get on this road trip and go do the journey, which was a few years after that, um, that I would always go back to St. John and I would kind of full circle my journey and I would go there to collect a story for the epilogue maybe and just kind of end the whole thing there again. And so that's what I did. I went back and I intended to go back for eight weeks. And then I got stuck there during the pandemic and there weren't very many flights. And there also wasn't very much motivation to get back to New York where we had the most cases. <laughs> so, um, so I stayed in St. John and I just returned um, last week. So I was there from February till now. Um, yeah. So, and uh yeah, a lot, a lot of time to spend uh, writing and also just reflecting. You know, yeah, it's always, you think that's going to happen because you're in an island and you think, you know, you're sitting under a palm tree and you're going to write a book. It never really works <laughs> like that. I'm glad, um, it, I'm glad it's the same for you because for me, yeah, once I hit a beach or something and I think I'm going to have all this time and then I'm like, nope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that when you live somewhere that you vacation, it's very different. You know, it's not like I was on the beach, you know, you live in the jungle part and, you know, I didn't have a car for the first two months. And so just hitchhiking around, um, the Island and just, it's, it's very challenging to live there. Um, and it's very different from, I think the, the idea people have of this romantic life in a vacation postcard. Um, it's not. So 
it was definitely very challenging. And I also intended to go there and just write out my proposal. So I didn't really have all my stuff. I didn't have my audio recordings. I didn't have my photos. So I kind of took a very long time dragging through getting the proposal done and then planned to get back here and really start the book where I had all my stuff. So um, I think that once I got here a few days ago, I realized like for the first time, um, you know, usually coming home was always coming back to a place where my mom wasn't anymore. And, you know, my siblings are, have their own families and their own homes. And, you know, my dad has a new girlfriend. And so it, it was always very challenging for me to come back here and not be miserable. And so for the first time, I'm really happy to be home. And it's uh, like, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And um, so I'm living in a little apartment above a barn and just kind of getting myself ready to finally be able to get this book out just because it was hard. It was a really, really emotional journey and it, and it's reliving it is going to be what I have to do to write it. And I just wasn't ready to do that yet, but now I am. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I think that we underestimate um, the, the timing of our lives, right? And the timing that like, we don't always honor how much time it takes to heal and to process through pain. And it's different for everyone. And I think that, um, you know, giving yourself the grace to just process as you need to. And like, yeah, once you're ready to do the things that you need to do, you're, you're going to do them and it's okay. It's all, it's all in the right timing. Like it, it really is. So tell me how, um, do you already have like a publisher lined up and that sort of thing for the book? Or are you thinking that you're going to self-publish it or you are working on a proposal? Right. So. I just finished the proposal and, um, I'm just going through all the edits on it now and sending it to a few people to get feedback. But um, my plan is to try to go with a publisher just because I would, I would really, and I don't know if this is something that is plausible, but I would really like to set it up like Tom's shoes where you buy a pair um, and then it donates a pair of shoes. You would buy a book maybe for your own coffee table or for a friend that needs it. And then it would donate one and you could pick what state and what hospital it went to if you had a personal connection to that waiting room. Oh, that'd be really cool. And even if you could add like a little uh, insert or something that was like, this is donated by, you know. Yeah, uh, personalizing it would be really like in honor of. You put it in this waiting room and this is the person that was here for you. So yeah, it would be cool to have that kind of little personalized sentiment in the beginning of the book. Yeah. And so um, as you were collecting your stories, like how did collecting those stories impact you? in, in ways that you weren't expecting, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that I kind of started the journey in my head with these like grand, huge stories. Like that's what I was going to be collecting. And, you know, while you get those, those total strangers that donated a kidney to another total stranger, um, or those just in general, like really big, beautiful stories. I think that it was interesting to me that I clung on to the small stories the most. And, um, you know, there was, when I was in Nashville, Tennessee, I was staying with a couple, it was right on the anniversary of my mom's passing and they were total strangers, um, connected through, you know, another girl in my hometown that had met one of them in college. And so she, she tagged them in the post when I said I was heading to Tennessee and they reached out right away and they were awesome. They were just, you know, we still stay in touch. And, um, I actually randomly FaceTimed them a month ago. Um, cause they had sent me some texts just seeing how I was doing. And, you know, one night I was like, I'm going to call them. And I called them and the girl was wearing her more good shirt. <laughs> um, and I talked to them for like an hour and it was so good to see them. And 
every home I stayed in, I would give them a t-shirt and take their photos so that in the beginning of the book, it will be thumbnail images of every person across the country that let me in their homes. Um, and so it was just random that she happened to be wearing her shirt. But I got to their home and they had a friend visiting that weekend. And so he was around the majority of my visit. And, um, the, you know, the first day we had gone, we'd all gone to dinner and I got to get to know him. And then the next day we were all at their other friends and he was at that also. And by the third morning, we were all sitting and having breakfast and he pulled out his wallet and he said, you know, I've been meaning to tell, I wanted to tell you this little story. And I was like, oh, what? And he said, he, and he pulled out his wallet and he said, you know, eight years ago, I was on a trip with my wife and we had gone to this little town and stayed in an Airbnb. And when we were leaving and packing up the car, my wallet must have somehow fallen out of the car. And I don't know if it was, you know, right on that, like on the street where we were parked or if it was like at the gas station in that town, but somewhere in that town, I lost it. And, you know, I'm so organized. So I keep everything perfectly organized. So I didn't notice. I had thought I'd just put it right in the door like I usually do and didn't notice it fell out till we got home. And by the time we got home, it was late at night and everything. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to have to cancel everything. I'll do it in the morning though. And so the next morning when I woke up, there was a box at the door and someone had FedExed it immediately. Um, and I had already gotten it, you know, the next day. And not only had they done that so that they knew I'd probably cancel things, um, but they must have looked at my license to get my address. And when they looked at my license, they also noticed it had been my birthday that week. <laughs> and so inside my wallet with all the cash and credit cards and everything perfectly intact was a tiny little birthday card like the size of a business card with a little birthday cake on it. And it just said, you know, I found this wallet on um, whatever, 700, well, whatever road it was. Um, and, you know, happy birthday. And it was like crumpled up and like brown. The card was like originally purple. It was like browning because he'd kept it. And he said, I've kept it in my wallet ever since to remind myself that there's good people out there. Oh, yeah. And I was like, Jay. What? Like, I've been telling you stories for three days and you just thought now to tell me this story. And he was like, well, I don't know. Like some of your stories are so big. And like, I just felt like this was such a tiny little thing and it wasn't that important. And I was like, you've kept it for eight years. It sounds like it was important. And you know, those little stories to me, like I can so vividly remember and I clung on to because while these beautiful, amazing stories are wonderful to hear, it's those types of stories that make you realize like we're all capable of that. We can all do little things like that and, and we should, and they're really important and we should do them more often. And so that's why I think it surprised me to, to see that these little tiny stories were actually the ones that were the most important. That's really interesting because as I was preparing for talking with you, I was like, okay, I need to think of like this, like amazing big story, this thing that's happened. And I was like, I, I mean, I have a lot of little instances and stories and things, but I feel like they're kind of like like the way I always think they're like little angels that have come into my path along my journey and they kind of string together. And I don't, I don't know. And it, I guess I realized in that moment and as you're talking, like it doesn't always have to be this grand thing. I think that, um, our culture loves to scale things up, right? Like everything has to be go big or go home kind of thing. And I feel like, emphasizing more of those little tiny moments um, of someone buying you a Starbucks and th that happened to me in a drive-through where the person in front of me just 
bought my order. They didn't know what I was going to order. They were just, I pulled up to the window and they're like, oh yeah, you're, you're already taken care of by the, per- the person who just drove off. And it's like, what? So, you know, like stuff like that where you're like, and it always seems to happen right when you need it, right when you're like, oh, I just really needed that encouragement, that reminder that the world, even though it, it can be super tough, that there are those people that think of others and that take the time, you know, just even five minutes of time, a, a dollar here and there, or whatever it is, whatever they can give, they're doing yeah. that. I think that, you know, that really was the, the biggest part is just the fact that it's an opportunity, me going into these people's homes and spending time with them. And, you know, the homes were the people that offered me shelter. They weren't necessarily the people with stories. I, they gave me dinner. I mean, they were part of my story. They were the kindness that I needed. <laughs> and sure. so they were always worried too. And I would get in there after a day of collecting stories and I'd come home and tell them about the stories. And they would always say, you know, oh, I've been racking my brain. You no, know, when I knew you were coming, what, you know, what good have I done? And I always had to tell them, well, it's actually not, you know, it's, it's what good was done to you, but anyway, <laughs> and, um, and they were just like trying to think of all these things and, and they would always reach out after, you know, after I left or something and be like, Oh, I thought of this and this and this, but you always do, you go to this place where you feel like it has to be this really big thing. And then you start reflecting back on your life. And that's what I feel like I wanted to provide is an opportunity to really go back into your own life and just think of these little moments that were filled with kindness for you. And I think the best, um, exit because all of the exits from the homes were very upsetting and sad because you're leaving homes that these intimate connections with people for three or four days that you might never see again you know they live in Idaho or wherever and it's like you really bonded <laughs> and and now you're leaving and so it was always emotional to leave but one of my my favorite um things that someone ever said to me when I was leaving was a woman that lived in Minnesota and she had um, a 15 year old son. And then she had 11 year old twins that both had cerebral palsy severely, um, 24, seven hour care to the point where she was a single mom. Her husband had left her and she had to put them in a medical foster, um, home, you know, 30 minutes away. So she would take one at a time on every other weekend. And so I got to meet her son, um, and just see her life. You know, like I was there in her tiny little house, even though she still offered me a place to stay, she didn't have much at all. And watching her take care of her kid and, you know, have to change his diapers and do all this stuff. And, um, and so it was very eye opening for me. And, you know, we would spend nights staying up late and having some wine and talking. And so the last day when I was leaving her home, she looked at me and she said, you know, I always knew that there was joy in my life, but these last few years have been so tough. And ever since you got here, it's like, you're this, one of those, um, one of those snow globes. (laughs) And it's like, you just shook my life up. And it's like, all I see now is the joy. (laughs) And it was just such a beautiful way to like, think about it. Like you just, you really made me think about all that stuff. And it's all I'm seeing now and thinking about. And so that was probably one of my favorite things that anyone ever said. Oh, that is beautiful. That is, and, and could be a great marketing scheme of like snow globes. Totally. It'll be like a little, my little car with all the stickers on it and the snow globe. Yes. Yes. Just shake it up. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think that, um, I definitely try to find opportunities every day to focus on good. And I feel like, um, sometimes it's difficult in our culture because people are like, well, you're just not being, you know, you're not in reality. I mean, reality is this, this horrible things that are going on. Like, how can you be focused on good? And I'm like, but 
how can you not be right? Like, <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's one thing to kind of see what's happening. And certainly like right now, more than ever, we need to be reminded of the good because there is, it can be completely de- debilitating watching the news right now. I mean, it's just, it's like one thing after another and just, um, you want to be informed and you want to be connected to other people, but at the same time, you, it's like overwhelming. Um, you know, and I think that this idea of going, of taking it really granular, of bringing it back to like, what little thing can I do or what little thing can I remember and be grateful that someone did for me Mm -hmm. is super important. I, I also think that there's something like, it takes a lot of vulnerability to accept gifts from other people. I don't know if that's some, you know, like, yeah, someone said that to me once they were like, that's amazing that you did this. Like you just asked, you just kept asking and people kept providing all the time, but it was like, you know, you're staying in these people's homes, you're eating their food, like you're doing all this stuff. And I think, or at least I like to hope (laughs) that I was providing a lot to them too. So it was like, you know, they always said like, you gave us way more than we'll ever give you. But I just feel like just giving them the opportunity to really like, especially because I started my journey a few days before the 2016 election. I mean, it was like, what a time (laughs) to begin this journey and, and be able to focus on this. And I, and you know, that was a really big part of my trip for me is that I did stay with Trump supporters and Hillary supporters and Bernie supporters and atheists and really religious people. Like that was a really big thing for me. I don't see any of that, you know, um, when I go into these homes to me, it was just, I was this breath of fresh air that wasn't going to talk politics or religion with them unless they wanted to, which is totally fine. I just, you know, I never, wanted to, but I uh, smiled and nodded if I must, but I just think that it was for them an opportunity to, to focus just on something good. And, you know, yes, people have said it's not, you can be naive if you're doing that all the time. But I think that, you know, I, I met a guy once in Wyoming and he said, my dad always said, you got to find the one good thing in a person and focus on that. And I think it to a fault almost, I do that. You know, I'm always like surrounding myself with people that it's like, why are you spending time with that person, Mary? But it's like, you know, I can see that good in them. <laughs> and I like harp on it and focus on that and try to remind, like remind them to focus on that in them in their own selves. And I think that's exactly it. It's like, um, good transcends all of those things, the politics, religion, all of those things. And I feel like, um, there, there are catalysts in the world and you're like this catalyst of energy that when you come into these people's homes or you meet people, you remind them of that energy and that good that they have already inside themselves that they may have forgotten that life may have beaten down that, you know, we all, our journeys are all very different. And I think that, um, sometimes we need that spark, that thing to shake us up, that snow globe that like, you know, oh yeah, that's right. Um, I can, you know, dust off these, these dreams, these ideas, this, this spark in my own life and be inspired to like move forward and try to see things differently. Because I think it is like, it's about, it's perspective, right? Like you can, if you want to see the bad, it's what you choose. You could, you can absolutely see the worst in people or you can see the best in everyone. Like we all, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't even have to know their story. You can literally find good or bad in everyone. So like, um, choosing to focus on the positive and see the good and just promote that. Um, that's like so healing for everyone involved, I think. Yeah. 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 And I think that a big part of the reason it became a road trip for me 
was that it was just a Facebook page where people were emailing stories. And it was very shortly after my mom passed that the stories just started dwindling down and people weren't taking the time to write down their stories. And so um, I think for me, I realized I could get really discouraged and frustrated and, you know, just let that website die and just, you know, forget about it. Or I could go out there and I could dig these stories up on my own and, and find them or create them create the stories myself and, you know, be the market that some people need it. And so that's why it was so much more important to me to really get into these communities and talk to people because it is, it's, it's a dark time and we're not, you know, we're not focusing on that good. So then we're not, we're not seeing it anymore. And we're just so bogged down with everything going on. And so that was a huge part of it is to really get out there and just find these stories on my own, like boots yeah. on the ground. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to take, take action, take major action, like shift things completely and just make it happen. I mean, I think like, um, it's amazing to me that people can spend, that we can spend hours obsessing on negative things that are happening versus like, it's like almost like we'll say, Oh, well, we just don't have time for the, we don't have time for that. We can't, we can't possibly be bothered to think about a good story in our past. Like yeah. we've got too many other things to focus on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think like having that moment where you're like f- kind of forcing people, like you're, you're physically in their space. You're like, Hey, okay, we're going to have this conversation now. Cause we need to make time for this um, and make time for talking about good and doing good just like each and every day. Um, yeah, I think also a huge part of it was once people actually met me and like realized like, oh, she's pretty down to earth and like normal. Like I'm not coming in their home, spreading my sprinkly rainbows and unicorns being like, kindness, kindness. No, <laughs> like this is like, I feel like I just got one from war. <laughs> like it was never a thing where I was trying to be this naive, positive rainbow sprinkling person. It was collecting stories. Of, it wasn't, you know, these little stories of, oh, how wonderful that someone bought me a coffee. That's so nice. It's their child just died a few weeks ago and they were having a very bad day and someone bought them a coffee and that's why it was so important. It's people that, it was stories of resilience, you know, at the end of the day, not stories of just little kindness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that because I think that my whole premise for flipping dreams came from a point of complete loss of like literally all the things that I had dreamed of to happen in my life had fallen apart completely. And I was just like, I don't even know where to go from here. Um, and the idea that it's never too late, like you can literally flip, like we have a million dreams and you can, you can change your course at any point in time. And just button quote, like it's uh, never late to change or something. You know, that quote from him. Yeah. Send it to me. Something about, you know, it's never too late to start again. Yeah, which is so true. I mean, I think that this idea that, oh, that's in the past. Um, I did that once or it didn't work out. I'm not ever going to do it again or never again. I'll never say never again because you never know what I'm going to do. So like, (laughs) but like, but yeah. um, And the idea for me, like my whole life has been um, just a lot of really unconventional, non-traditional things that I've done. Um, and people look at me and they're like, you're just so good at reinventing your life. And I'm like, um, 
it doesn't mean that I didn't cry on the floor of the bathroom like many times, curled up wondering, what am I doing? It doesn't mean like it was easy. It's just is like there's something in you that just has to keep going. And hopefully you have people around you or even just one person that will remind you of that, that you're like, okay, um, I have, I said it um, in one of my uh, previous recordings, how like I have these core two maybe three people in my life that as I have my harebrained crazy dream ideas, um, or as I like to say, I'm being wine vicious, like when I'm drinking wine and I come up with these brilliant ideas, um, uh, they, you know, I always run it past them and I always hold them, have them hold me accountable. Like I'm going to do this thing. And when I get really discouraged three months from now and think, why the heck did I ever do this? I'm going to call you and you need to like talk me off the ledge and remind me of why I was doing this in the first place and encourage me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the most important thing you can do is tell people because then yes. yeah, you have to hold yourself accountable. Like, ah, oh, geez, I told people I was going to go to all the States. Now I got to actually do it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's very important to do that. I think. Yeah. yeah. To go off of what you said about like, yeah, like, how wonderful that you can do these things now and all this stuff. And people are so quick to just say like, oh, that's so nice or this or that. It's like, that's easier for them because they're not doing it to, to glamorize it. Like, oh, nice. Like how fun to run your own podcast or do this or do that. It's like, no, like, or how fun to do a road trip. It's like, yeah, I sat in that car, like a sad Sarah McLaughlin commercial for years, hysterically crying, driving my mom's Subaru down the road. Like it wasn't pretty. I didn't have a good podcast I was listening to. I actually never even listened to a podcast. The entire trip, I half the time after these stories, I had to just sit and process in the car. And I was stopping so often that it was never like 10 hour drives. It was always like two or three hour drives and I'd stop in the next town. And so, yeah, it's never, you know, but people mask it over because they can't do it themselves that they have to create a reason why. And so then they just push it on us. But yeah, no, it's terrifying to flip your dream. Oh yeah. And honestly, when I was thinking about you going, so I am, I'm a pretty strong introvert. I mean, I could spend days, like for me, quarantine was my normal day. My normal I loved it. I loved quarantine. I know. I was like, I'm getting so much done and I'm actually justified. Like I don't have to feel guilty to say no to people anymore. Like I'm like, oh no, quarantine. Sorry. Can't see you. But, but, um, but you know, so for me, the idea of going into complete strangers homes and like, every day, every night, having a different environment and having to have a conversation. Like that is terrifying. Like, yeah. Honest. Yeah. 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 It was I, very challenging. Um, I would say I'm pretty 50, 50 on the introvert extrovert scale. Um, which is why that time in the car was so precious to me to just be alone. Um, but I think that it was very interesting. Cause I, again, like you would go through an entire day of talking to all these strangers and you'd be so tired and you would yeah. look tired and people love telling you that and um and then you would have to walk into another person's home that you're gonna have to tell your story all over again and you keep thinking in your head tonight Mary we're just gonna have dinner and talk a little bit and then when they say you look tired you should do you want to go to bed or do you want this glass of wine and to sit up and talk with me for 50 hours you should go to bed and then the end of dinner comes around and then the wine comes out and you were like I'll get sleep tomorrow but then you never do because then tomorrow the same thing happens. And it, but it's also these opportunities where when am I ever going to be with this person again and talk to this person? And they need these stories right now. I should stay up and tell them some. And then you stay up all night. And so it was amazing. Like I would be so tired. And then it was just like this boost of energy from meeting a new person again. And I, I really have no idea, I mean, how I did it, but I did it. 
That's amazing. And I, I also think it's sort of like you're accelerating life. You're accelerating life moments um, because it's like, I, I think that some people, people who aren't used to having those conversations and those heart to hearts on a regular basis, like for them, it's like, oh, I, you know, they'll, rem it'll be like once in, in a six month period or maybe once a month even, but mm -hmm. like to do it on a daily basis where you're like going deep and, and, and digging in and listening and being present and like really just experiencing life right in those moments. Um, so intensely, I yeah. think that that's a really transformative thing. And that's something that I wish more people had the opportunity to, rather than talking about surface things that are nonsense and that don't mean anything or, or talking about other people, which I hate. Um, but like the idea of like getting to share stories and be like, okay, here I am on my journey and here you are on your journey and let's talk about this and let's share. Um, that, that's something that's really energizing, but it's, it is also really exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's really amazing. Um, do you uh, have any ideas beyond your book and working on that whole project? Is, has anything else come up during this time that you're like considering, pondering? Um, of what I'll do next? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I always have 50 things lined up for myself. And this is going to take such a long time that. I can't even fathom it right now, but um, I do do wedding photography. And so something I've really wanted to do after all of this is combine the wedding photography aspect of my life with more good and do something called more love and do love stories um, across the world, just little moments, just because some of the stories I heard on my trip um, were just so beautiful and just have these kind of little vignettes, maybe a photo of the, the people or like a tiny little video clip of them sitting on their couch talking, like almost like Harry Met Sally style, like at the end of the movie when they have those little, love to do something like that. And, and not just stories of, you know, the guy and the girl love story, but, um, I met a, a group of friends on the beginning of, in the beginning of my journey when I was in Rhode Island, I was staying with a teacher and, um, I did a story on another teacher in the uh, school she worked in that did uh, a Veterans Day 5K. And it was, you know, why he did it in honor of um, uh, the person that he did it and everything. And I, you know, collected his story. But I also did the 5K. And while I was there, there was these four women and they all had flowers in their hair. And I ended up getting to talk to them. And they were from Wisconsin. And they were, um, their friend that was with them had been diagnosed with brain cancer a few months ago. And when she was diagnosed, um, her husband didn't divorce her, but didn't really help very much. And so one thing she always wanted to do um, was run the New York City Marathon, which she did after her surgery on her brain, <laughs> but also run a 5K in every state. And so her three best friends from Wisconsin, who are all like smokers and drinkers, decided to step up to the plate and start running these 5Ks with her. And so like that was their love story to me and like the story of their friendship. And so different types of stories of love, but um, that was something I really wanted to highlight because again, while there's stories of tragedy and pain behind a lot of them, it would just be so much lighter than what this was because there was 98% tragedy behind most of my stories and it was a lot of emotion and it was, um, it was a lot. And so to do like something, you know, lo love stories <laughs> is something I'd really love to highlight. Yeah. And love and <laughs> Yes. I love that. I love love. Um, but the, the idea too, that it's, um, 
getting past the facade, getting past the, okay, you've got, you know, two people married and then their lives are perfect forever and ever. Right. You know, isn't that how the story goes? Yeah. No. Um, so like this idea of like resilient love throughout, no matter what and how it looks different, love looks different. Um, sometimes. So I, I think that's a great idea. I love it. I can't wait to see that develop. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For this book to be over. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it's been really long process and like, yeah, I can, I can only imagine I, yeah, Yeah. but I'm really excited that you've stuck with it. And like, once it comes out, it's going to be really amazing. It's going to transform a lot of people's lives. Um, so that's really cool. So is the gratitude project the, is it still going? Is that something that, that was the original project I started with my friend to highlight the stories and then it morphed into the road trip that I just did. Okay. Okay. Um, so if people want to get a hold of you, they should just go to the morgood.today. Yeah. And, and it always confuses people. So I just say morgoodtoday.com because it redirects. But the dot today, then they put dot today.com and it goes to the today show. So it's, yeah, it's just easier to say morgoodtoday.com or all the handles are morgoodtoday. Like on Facebook and Instagram, it's all morgoodtoday. That's awesome. That's really, um, and I love your shirt and I want one. So I'm going to order that. (laughs) That's the map on the back. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I love it. I love Uh, it. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, yeah, I, I love the idea of traveling around. Um, one of my dreams is to, uh, which hopefully I'm working on one of my, again, one of my ideas. Um, I have a million things I do at once, but, um, is to take my camper and go around the country and swap fiddle tunes and music with people and stories like at the campfire. Like, so yeah. Um, just like there's, there's something really beautiful about, um, just face to face time. Right. Because so we're supposedly more connected now than ever when the internet works. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but I feel like so much, there's so much more of a disconnection. And when I go, I'm newly a camper, uh, RV owner. Um, and when I go to the campsites and I, uh, there's, first of all, they're packed and I always end up like meeting really interesting people and having these conversations and just like glimpses into their like mini lives because their campers are like their mini, mini house. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, it, it really does help you to expand this idea of what the world is of your exposure to, you know, getting outside of controlling your environment and have, and thinking, you know, everything to just being open to change and open to possibility. Um, and that's something that I really, I really believe in and I, and I pursue, you know, and I yeah. think more, more people should pursue this, like this idea that we don't have to have it all figured out. And you could try something and it can completely fall apart and not work the way you thought it would, but then something else is going to come out of it. That's going to like be this amazing thing. And then people will see that thing and they'll be like, wow, you were so brilliant to think of that thing all along. And you're like, no, 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 you have no idea. Like this, this started, (laughs) this started completely differently. (laughs) Yep. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to. I hope that someday in the future we'll be able to see each other in person, have a glass of wine, get to like Where actually. Well, I'm in Alabama right now, uh, in Muscle Shoals. Oh, 
Yep. Nice. It's funny. I always, I talk about Alabama a lot um, because I watched that show, Heart of Dixie. Oh, oh my gosh. I love that show. Yeah. Yep. Wish- all my friends made fun of me and I was like, listen, man, we're in a pandemic. The show makes me happy. Just leave me alone. That's it. Right. <laughs> okay. Easy. Um, but I, I do love it. And my friend and I always talk about how we want to open a soup kitchen there and live in a small town in Alabama, like the show. Um, well, come to but, Florence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will put that on the, uh, on the docket. Um, there is one thing I wanted to tell you that I feel like you'd appreciate, um, just a memory from my trip when I was driving through the Badlands in South Dakota, I was going from Black Rock to, um, like Rapid City area back to Sioux Falls. And I was driving through that whole area. And as a photographer, I obviously had to stop many times and, um, and was taking a bunch of pictures. And at one of the little pull-offs after driving for like 40 minutes and not seeing anyone or any cars, um, and you're driving through the Badlands, which like you already feel like a tiny ant in the world. Um, I had pulled over and a man pulled over behind me and he was probably like 75, I'd say. And he was with his dog and we started talking a little bit and he was from Germany and you could see he has a very thick accent and not a lot of English, but we talked a little, he saw the car and he was like, Oh, what are all these stickers? And I said, Oh, I'm actually going to all the States and writing stories of um, kindness and hope to put in hospitals. And, you know, I think I took a picture for him of his dog and, you know, then we went on our way. And then about 25 minutes later, as I was coming towards the edge of where I'd get back on the regular highway and and make my way home, I decided I'd pull over and take one more photo. And I saw his little truck. And so I thought, you know, I'll say goodbye to him. And it was starting to get dark. And so that was a big thing. My dad always said, you know, please, (laughs) of all the things that you're doing that are giving me very much stress, (laughs) at least drive during the daylight and always call, I call him every night at six o'clock Eastern time to let him know I was still kicking. And, um, and so I knew it was getting dark and I still had a long drive. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to say quick goodbye, but I can't stay long. I can't talk. So I'll just run over there. So I went over to him and before I even started talking, he said, Oh good, you're back. <laughs> I said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about you and what you said you were doing. And you know, the biggest danger to our world right now is the fast pace and you know, time, people never have time for things. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to tell him that I have to rush off here. <laughs> and he said, you know, I've been thinking also about what you're doing. And you know, this, this thing that you are focusing on and giving people hope, he said, but that's not all that you're doing. What you're doing with this journey and actually doing it is you're putting the dream back into the brain of a human and making them realize they can do it too, just because you're actually doing it, you know? And then so many, so many of us say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then, you know, you never do it. And I just thought it was such a cool way of him putting it, like we're putting, putting the dream back into the brain of a human. Um, and here he was 75 years old. He had been, you know, dreaming of going to the Badlands since he was a little kid and would read about the Cowboys and the Indians. And he finally was there. He came from Germany just to go through the Badlands with his dog. And he was filling his dream out. And, you know, it was just such a cool moment. And it was one of those things where if I had had the friend that you always wish you had in the car with you or, you know, was doing a different type of trip, then I would have never had that moment with this random guy. You know, I would have just waved to him and been taking pictures with my friend and got in the car and left. But because we were both alone, there was that bond in that, you know, and trying to figure out like, well, what are you doing here? You know? And so it was one of my favorite uh, moments, but 
I love that. That is a beautiful story. I love that. Planting a dream. It's like little aliens planting dreams. <laughs> a lot of aliens in my head. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mine too. But I mean, that is so cool. And I, I love that you've highlighted the, um, the importance of solo. Like I think, so one of my favorite books is Gift from the Sea, Anne-Mora Lindbergh's book. Um, and I don't know if you've, if you've not read that, oh my gosh, read it. It's amazing. Um, timeless. Um, she wrote, wrote, this is, I think she, it was in the, um, fifties or sixties when she wrote that her book, Gift from the Sea, um, is all about the importance of people and particularly women taking time to, um, go away and have their own time to like cultivate their inner life and, and just, and she does it. Each chapter is a different seashell and she talks about, and it's like different phases of your life. Um, as you go through the journey, it's just, it's a beautifully brilliant book, but I really feel like we need, um, more time. Like everyone should build in, even if you're in a marriage or whatever, a partnership, a family that you should be like, okay, well, this is my, I'm going to take this week or this month and I'm going to go wherever my happy place is, mountains, beach, whatever. And I just need to connect with myself and do the things that are about me and remind me of who my soul, you know, what my soul is, my heart, get me aligned. Um, and then I'll come back and be able to give you so much more, you know, and I feel like every person should be able to have those moments, those room, a room of their own where they can just, um, cultivate that because, okay, bringing it back to what you said with this, this man, the idea that like, you can't have those moments when you're with other people. Like when I travel alone is when I have the most fascinating conversations. Yeah. Like, so yeah. I think, yeah, I think that something very important about doing it. Yeah. I mean, so, it's especially with what I did. It was like, I couldn't have, I'm already asking so much of people to go into their homes and eat their food. I can't be like, Oh, and I'm also bringing a friend, you know? And also it was so personal for me, what I was doing and what I was trying to accomplish. And you couldn't have anyone else, you know? And even though the car rides were lonely, it was like, well, that's the time you need to think, even though it's so much to think about. Yeah. I find that when I'm camping alone, well, I have Dottie, so I'm not really alone, but, mm -hmm. um, but she, like, it's right when I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, poor me. I wish there's someone here to look at this fire, you know, or whatever, you know, I start to like lament and get lonely. Um, then it's precisely at that moment that something comes across my bow and like I have a, an amazing conversation or I have a moment that reminds in nature or something happens that reminds me like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have even noticed this or experienced this otherwise. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah, I really, I really love that. Um, oh, and the quote that you sent me, do you mind reading that and telling me where you got that? I ended up in Seattle on my road trip and noticed that she was on a book tour and she was in Seattle and my host brought me and we went and I got to meet her. It was so cool, but I love her. She's, she writes like everything she says is just perfect and beautiful. And, and who, who is she? Her name is Cleo Wade and she is originally from New Orleans. Um, she lives in New York city now and she's like a poet. So she just writes these beautiful little snips of things that you're like, yes, yes, I feel all of those things, but I can't articulate them like that. Um, so I have her quotes like all over my apartment <laughs> that I, I write in her handwriting because it's like artistic looking and then I have them pasted everywhere. Um, so the one I sent you 
which I thought was time appropriate, <laughs> is, and I cannot let these times take my faith in humanity away from me, for it is during these times it is needed most. But another one that I mm, That's so it. good. I love that. Th this other one I found when I was going through a really hard time. I was in Idaho and I had just gotten into a small town that went through um, a horrific incident where a man that was led into one of the homes in a refugee community, um, the, the family let him in and was trying to help him, was bipolar and he had gone off of his meds and so they were worried that you know it wasn't safe to have him there. So he um, was removed from the home and then he came back into the community a few days later when they were having a birthday party for a three-year-old. And it was, you know, nine three-year-olds in the backyard having this birthday party, having cake, and the parents were, you know, in the corner all mingling. And the man came in and stabbed a bunch of the children and murdered the three-year-old. And so not only was it a horrific situation, but it was also one of those things where it was like someone was trying to help this guy. And then he turned on them. And so it was horrific. And there was... Um, a personal tragedy in my own life um, in my hometown that I was going through at the time and then something else was going on and it was just like nonstop like it was just a bad week and I remember I called my sister actually during it and I was just like I don't even know what to do like I just feel like everything feels very dark and like I just feel stupid walking around this community with a shirt that says more good and she said yeah, but you know, that's why you're doing this. And it's like, yeah, I know that. Thank you. I'm doing it. I know that that's why it's important right now, but it's really hard right now. And she was like, you know what though? Something bad just happened when you were saying that and something else horrible just happened while, you know, you thought about what I was saying and five bad things are going to happen in the next minute, but something good just happened while we were talking and something good's going to happen in a few minutes and five more good things are going to happen after that. And it's just, it's this current that we forget that's even keeping us afloat of the good things happening because there's just so much bad that we're focusing on. And, you know, you just have to keep doing what you're doing. And someone had invited me to go to, um, someone had invited me to go to the area where they had this little like memorial set up in the community. And again, I was like, I'm not going to roll in with my car full of stickers and my shirt that says more good. And like, it just felt so silly. And this person that I met, a total stranger, she just kept dwelling on it. She's like, why don't you just meet me there tomorrow morning before you have to leave town? Like, just meet me, just look at it. And so I ended up going and I parked really far away <laughs> and I did not, you know, I had my shirt on, but I had a sweatshirt over it. And I went over and I, I met her and she was talking to someone there. And it was this random person that had come from Utah with a group of people and they were setting up a another party for these kids because they hadn't gone outside in the last few days because they were terrified and traumatized. And so they had set up in this community, a magician and like painting your face and like build a bear so that they each had a bear to like have comfort. And they had just created this entire thing for these kids. And so she was like, do you want to help out? And so I ended up staying and like meeting some of the kids and being able to build bears with them and it was just under the circumstances such a, like, I was so grateful that I got to be there for it. Um, but anyway, as I was going through that whole week, it was very rough. And I found a quote from Cleo. She had just posted it. And it said, today I am breathing through my fear of what is going on in America. Because when I breathe, I am reminded that I am alive. I am reminded that to be able to fill my body with air means that I have the ability to keep going. I am reminded that my time on earth may be short, 
but it can be powerful if I dedicate it to love and fairness. Finally, I am reminded of Mary Oliver when she wrote, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I breathe, I smile, I close my eyes and reply as much as I can. Mm, that is so good. That's so inspiring. And it, oh, thank you. I yeah. needed that. I needed to hear that today too. It's, it's, uh, I think, um, you know, people think that once you're doing the thing that you've got it all figured out and that it's just like, oh yeah, you've got it figured out, just move forward. But I think that we all have those moments of, of doubt and those moments of fear and just like being overwhelmed even by trying to do the thing that you believe in, yeah. you know? Um, so it's, it's wonderful to hear that. I'm definitely going to look up Cleo and oh, her work. Her stuff is so good. I love that. There, yeah. It's really like all over. Like I can show, like I have this one, which I don't know if you can see it. Oh but it, yeah. It says right now, the only moment in time, you know, you have for sure. And then this is one of my favorite ones too, which I'll just read you, but it says the best advice I ever got was from a sign in somebody's front yard in my hometown that said, until further notice, celebrate everything. <laughs> but yeah, great. they're just That's like, great. they're like on my fridge. Like they're everywhere. They're all over my apartment. <laughs> I love that. I love quotes. I, I do the same thing. I always have these like, you know, visual reminders of, yeah. of what to focus on. And so that, that's yeah. fabulous. Well, thank you so much. It's been just really awesome getting to talk to you. Yeah. And... I'll show you this song because I feel like you'd really Okay, agree. good. Yeah. Being my own. Wait, I can't see. Oh, sorry. There's like a glare. It says yeah. looking for light, but looking for is crossed out and it just says being my own. Mm, I love that. One for you. Um, I love that. I guess it was so nice to um, get to meet you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, hopefully, um, you know, you never know where I'm going to roll into. Um, <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you for everything that you, you do, that you've done, that you're going to do. And just thanks for your contribution to life, to making it more good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was very cool. To, it's, it's always good to be reminded of everything. It's just been a hard few weeks that aren't connected to the road trip, just like in my own personal life and stuff. So when I can kind of reflect back on the trip and not everything, it's like, wow, yeah, like I did that. <laughs> you did and you yeah. rocked it and like, you're going to continue to rock it. Like I cannot wait to see the books, the love project, all of these things that are going to come out of this. And um, I hope that we can continue to stay in touch and maybe in the future also have you back on and see like what's developed. Yes. No. Yeah, I would love that. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. And um, yeah, talk to you. Take care. All right. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Are you interested in flipping your dreams? Check out my new course on Teachable, where I guide you step-by-step -step through the process of letting go of your old dreams setting a foundation, framing it in, drawing up a blueprint of your future, designing it, and building your new dream life. Through journal and physical exercises and videos, I take you step-by-step -step through this process. So join me, and as always, I'll see you here next week 
on Flipping Dreams. Mm-hmm.